Drafting Archetypes is sponsored by Gray Viking Games. Check them out at grayvikinggames.com and use our code DRAFT10 for 10% off. Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week we are going to be discussing Blue Black in uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. I guess I should start by reminding uh, all my patrons that the, uh, well, guru and above level patrons, that the notes for this archetype have been posted on patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. If you're interested in following along, be sure to pull that up. And now uh, let's get into it. First thing to note about uh, Blue Black is its overall win rate on 17 lands is 53.9%. To say that it is a below average archetype, but also that it is the best performing of the blue archetypes. Blue is notably the worst color in the format by a lot. Bad enough that I would recommend generally avoiding blue. However, there are some bombs that are blue and if you do find yourself in a spot where there is a blue card that is so powerful that you want to like first pick it or you get past a very powerful blue card you want to second pick it or something there's a pretty good chance that blue black is where you want to try to position yourself so i often talk about like what puts you in this archetype and obviously you know the things that put you in an archetype that you should be trying to avoid are very different than the things that put you in an archetype that you should be trying to gravitate toward or very open to drafting. Given that you're trying to not take a blue card for the most part, I thought I would make a comprehensive list of blue cards that you should take pack one, pick one. I guess this might not be exactly comprehensive because I didn't factor in blue cards that are not blue-black. I, I haven't looked into like whether Volo is something you should first pick or anything, but mono blue cards plus blue-black cards, here is... I'm going to run through every single blue card in the format that I would be happy to take pack one, pick one out of a pack. It's not going to take very long. First, Mind Flare. Mind Flare is the best blue card in the set, at least in blue-black that's definitely true. I'm not totally sure if it's better than like Emirth overall or something, but an interesting fact about Mind Flare is that in blue-black it has a 70% game in hand win rate, which is higher than any card just like in all archetypes collectively so like the best card in the set is loth which like overall has a win rate of like 66 and change or something um so like mind flare in blue black is better than that which is notable only because like if it were like oh this card in red black performs better than like anything does in the whole format it would be well yeah sure we've dropped all the bad decks and we're just looking at red black of course it performs extra well but you know blue black is not an archetype that performs above average i guess it's not that surprising because blue paired with black performs better than blue paired with other things so we're dropping the weaker colors to pair it with but i don't think that that's all that's going on here i don't think it's just that like Mind Flare is better with black cards because black cards are better with blue cards in general or black cards are better in general. I think there are a lot of specific synergies with black cards and Mind Flare. Specifically, if you have a sack outlet, then when you play your Mind Flare, if they do something about your Mind Flare, you can sack their creature and then they don't get it back. So you get uh, that price of loyalty situation where black plays really well with price of loyalty. It also plays really well with Mind Flare, which is potentially a uh, temporary effect. And then on top of that, you can also combine the Mind Flare with Feign Death or Fate's Reversal to uh, then, you know, if or when the Mind Flare dies, 
take another one of their creatures. Your Mind Flare can become this like kill multiple things value engine, which is not really available to other colors. So I think like overall Mind Flare is the best reason to be blue and then specifically blue black. Because there are so few blue cards that you want, kind of a substantial portion of the time that you should be blue black, it's because you have Mind Flare exactly. And I, by substantial, I don't mean that you'll have Mind Flare half the time or you should expect all your uh, blue-black decks to have Mind Flare or anything, just that like it's a real factor. Next up, Imrith. This is the 5-5 five, five Mythic Dragon uh, with like Ward and draws cards and everything. Then Yanti Malison. This is the 2-1 that's unblockable if it attacks alone and when it hits your opponent, you venture. Then Hall of the Storm Giants, which is the blue land that can animate into a 7-7, seven, seven. then Mordenkainen, which is the six mana Planeswalker, and Xanathar. Uh, those six cards are literally the only blue cards that I'm happy to take uh, first pick, first pack. Notable, Crydel actually has a better win rate than Xanathar in blue-black. Two mana cards, you know, have, a, a, like, th there's a lot of advantage to costing two instead of six. Xanathar has a better win rate overall, which makes sense because Xanathar is a much more splashable card than Crydel. I'm happy to take Xanathar because there's a really good chance that I'll be like red-black with Xanathar rather than actually drafting blue-black. Whereas like even though Crydel's better in blue-black, I would not want to take Crydel pack one, pick one. There are some other blue rares that are strong or read well, Grazlax and Dragon Turtle that I would not want to take pack one, pick one. Grazlax has uh, an interesting feature <laughs> that it's game played win rate. So that's to say the amount that it wins when it's in your deck rather than like when you draw it is actually lower than Soul Knife Spy, which is the common that is pretty similar to Grazlax, except much, much weaker, but only costs a single blue mana. Their stats in terms of like game and hand win rate are kind of weirdly similar. Uh, but your deck is worse if you have Grazlax. And so partially that's because Grazlax is taken early and puts people into blue when maybe they shouldn't be in blue or whatever. But I also think a lot of it is that Grazlax costs double blue and you just don't want to be heavy blue. Um, when you're playing these blue cards, you would prefer to splash them in a mostly black deck because there are so many more good black cards than there are good blue cards. So basically the like three mana double blue Rares are not good enough for me to want to move into blue, and they're a little bit of a trap because they make me want to be heavier blue than I would like to actually end up. They're fine if it's a weak pack, it's not the end of the world if you have to first pick them or something, but I'm not going to be like happy about it. Where like I'm going to look for another card, I guess is the point. Whereas uh, any of these other six cards, I'm, I'm going to be totally happy to uh, first pick them. I'm, I'm not sure that I would take. Xanathar over Grim Bounty. In fact, I probably wouldn't, but out of a lot of packs, I would first pick them. Those are the cards that put you into blue, at least pack one, pick one. Obviously, you know, if you take some black cards for a while and then you get past a Dragon Turtle, even second, especially third, fourth, fifth, now it's like, all right, I know that the people passing to me also didn't want to be in blue. And so now I can take this and it's actually a signal that blue is going to be open which is a much better reason to be drafting blue. So I think there are quite a few more blue cards that can put you into blue if you see them third or fourth pick and you know that it means that the table gets it and they're all trying to avoid blue. 
but I, I don't want to risk moving into blue when other people uh, passing to me might also be in blue by taking an okay blue card too early. Eccentric Apprentice would be a good example of a blue card that I would be not looking to take pick one or two, but like if I'm seeing it pick three, four, five, uh, less three, more like four or five, then I'm willing to like read that as a signal because it is the highest performing blue uncommon. And then consider like moving into blue if I hadn't already solidified into other colors. Yeah, basically the way that you end up in blue-black is either starting with a legitimate bomb or kind of like starting mono-black and then getting past one of the cards that tells you that blue's open, which it's hard to find out because uh, like the best common is Jin Windseer, but it's not so good that if someone first picked like a Mind Flare, they would second pick Jin Windseer, right? Like if you first pick Mind Flare, you're like, okay, I'm blue, but there are so many cards in other colors that are enough better than the Windseer that I'm not going to just like take Windseer because like it's the best common in my color. And so the fact that I get past a Windseer isn't actually that strong of a signal that blue is open compared to getting past like the strongest card of a different color, if all that makes sense. So you want to be really careful uh, when you're reading into signals that blue is actually open. Although on the other hand, the depth of cards that are solid playables in blue-black is pretty large. Basically, there's just a lot of like mediocre cards. Like there are seven commons in blue and black that have a win rate exactly between 44 and 45%. 44 to 45% is just above the average amount that blue-black wins overall. So these are like you know, drawing them theoretically improves your win rate. So these, these are all like cards that you shouldn't be unhappy to play in your deck, but they're also not exciting cards to play in your deck. A third of the commons that you should be looking to play are in exactly that range. There are so many cards that are like basically interchangeable that you can certainly, you know, compete, like play this if other people at the table are fighting you for it. Where that's often going to come up is like you're going to be fighting people for black cards. That's just unavoidable in this format. You're not necessarily going to be fighting people for blue cards, but it's also like, it, it doesn't necessarily matter that much if you're fighting people for blue cards or not. It's really about, did you hit your ceiling? Do you have like a few of the really, really good cards? And then all the commons are just interchangeable. There, there are just so many average-ish blue commons that it's just not important how you round out your deck. So I guess I've discussed the best like blue cards Pack one, pick one. I'm not going to discuss like the good black rares. Those are just cards you should take and be happy, and they probably won't lead you to blue black, but I, you know, they could if you get past blue cards. But I do want to touch on the top uncommons in this archetype. I just think that's always worth talking about. I think uncommons kind of drive limited. So when you're getting at any archetype, you want to know the best uncommons there. Notable. So Skullport Merchant is kind of like I think of the two best uncommons in the set as. Skullport Merchant and Battlecry Goblin. Those are the best uncommons in red-black, and they're both just awesome. But it's worth noting that Skullport Merchant is actually uh, wins less in blue-black than Power Word Kill and Black Dragon, which isn't like that surprising. When you don't have uh, Price of Loyalty, the sack outlet's less important. Um, and then also blue and black have just like a real abundance of three mana creatures that they are happy to play in common. That means that just like 
prioritizing a three mana uncommon creature is going to lead to like not necessarily having a great curve and you already have like all of these other kind of like defensive three mana creatures that are fine and like upgrading them to a Skullport Merchant's an improvement, but not necessarily as large an improvement as getting like a really, really premium instant speed removal spell or like a good value finisher in a deck that's kind of like good at blocking and looking for like that kind of like finisher. Yeah, Skullport Merchant a little bit less exciting in this archetype than in some others. Top performers, Power Word Kill, Black Dragon, Crydel, then Skullport Merchant, then Raven Feeblement, Eccentric Apprentice. Those, those are like the highlights and then solid, good, better than most commons type range, but not very much better. And there are certainly a lot of commons that are better than them. Ray of Frost, Warlock Class, Fly, Displacer Beast, and Reaper's Talisman. Of those, I want to talk about Fly specifically. So Blue Black's like thing is like these saboteur creatures that uh, have some kind of trigger when they hit your opponent. So you have like Horde Robber, Soul Knife Spy, and the Seeker at common, I guess, are the like headliners. And Yanti Fangblade, I guess, are the headliners for that at common. And then theoretically, you can pair those with Cridal, can make them uh, unblockable. Fly can give them evasion. And then uh, Thieves' Tools. What I want to talk about is Thieves' Tools, specifically that it isn't good. Thieves' Tools has like a really bad win rate overall, also a bad win rate in blue-black. I don't think that what you want to be doing with Blue Black is playing Thieves Tools and prioritizing the saboteur creatures and trying to like have this plan where you're going to play a creature and you're going to put Thieves Tools on it and you're going to hit your opponent and you're going to connect a bunch of times with that. I think the plan is just really flimsy. There are a lot of plundering barbarians to blow up your Thieves Tools, a lot of like instant speed removal to kill your saboteur creatures after you've invested the mana when you're attacking. And also that plan is just like really slow and easy to race in a format that's pretty aggressive. Fly is kind of like the exception where, you know, you're investing one mana instead of five or whatever it is to play and equip Thieves Tools. And uh, you're also like adding another damage trigger. So you're getting a lot more value out of it. Obviously it's an enchant creature rather than an equipment, which means that you have the potential to get two for one, but also... You know, if you put it on something like a Soul Knife Spy, you're getting a card uh, off the top when you hit him uh, the turn that you gave it flying, plus getting a Venture Trigger there. So if they kill it, you're really not like down that much. And then if they don't kill it, you can run away with the game. Also, you might have a curve where you go like Soul Knife Spy into Fly with you find the Villain's Lair up to protect it, which is... A little ambitious because we're talking about having blue 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 available which is not something you should be looking to do but the point is if you're trying to get a certain creature to hit your opponent fly is the way to do it not other things reaper's talisman i guess is another card that's just like really really strong and theoretically might help you do it i guess cridal obviously is the real way to do it uh like cridal is great Cradle's great by itself. Cradle's ability is great with Cradle. Cradle's ability is great with other things. Like to the extent that the deck is about that thing at all, it's mostly Cradle. With like Fly or Reaper's Talisman can do a little bit of that. But I don't think that you should be like, oh, I'm blue black. That means like I need to be looking to have like Soul Knife Spies and Yanti Fang Blades and stuff. Let's talk about the general game plan for blue black, which I think is it's good if you can play a one or two mana creature and then you are basically always going to play a three mana creature that's like 
pretty good at like blocking or stabilizing. Let's go over the three mana options because that's kind of like the you're always going to play a three a creature on three basically because there are so many and I think they're all pretty important. So vampire spawn is you know if you don't know by now an absurd card in this format. Like its win rate is it has the third highest win rate of any common last I checked ahead of dragon's fire. It's behind Dragon's Fire in blue-black, weirdly, though tiny sample size on Dragon's Fire. I don't think it's a better card than Dragon's Fire, but I think it might legitimately be like the fourth best common in the set or something. A lot of people ask me what's going on with Vampire Spawn's stats. How could it possibly be this good? And I think a lot of people just like see stats that don't make any sense and dismiss them entirely, where even if you're right that there's something weird going on here, what you're supposed to do is discount it rather than dismissing it, which is to say assign less weight to it or say, okay, there's probably something that I don't understand that, you know, maybe accounts for it being slightly inflated. But you don't say, I don't get this, so it's bad, or so this stat's meaningless. You say, maybe I should interpret this as being a couple percent lower than it says or something. What I've done, seeing the stats for Vampire Spy, or Vampire Spawn rather, is I take it when it's in a pack and there's not anything busted and I play it a lot and it's been really good for me. The two, three blocks really well. The life exchange always matters. And it's just like the perfect card for a deck that's like, if you're aggressive, it's great pressure. If you're defensive, it's a great way to make sure that you get to your late game. I think for blue black, it's mostly in that get to your late game space, but it just like does that really well. Your guaranteed value. It, it's, it's just great. Soul knife spy. 3-2 for 3, when it hits him, draw a card. I, I've maybe put this in my deck a little bit. I don't have a lot of experience with it. I'm always skeptical of 3-mana creatures with only 2 toughness, as I've talked about a lot of potential for uh, trading down there, either trading with a 2-drop or giving your opponent the opportunity to play a 3-drop that gets value killing, 3-mana removal spell that gets value killing it. Obviously, there is a lot of upside if you connect with Soul Knife Spy, and this is a card where, like, threat of activation matters a lot. It's not quite threat of activation the way it's usually used but the point is like the implicit threat where it's like oh it's really bad if soul knife spy hits me so i need to like make sure i kill it right away or i need to make sure i leave an extra blocker back or something and so even when it's not doing anything it's like potentially impacting a game more than it looks like it is just in terms of like forcing your opponent to play a little bit more defensively so that you can't connect with it and in that way it serves as like a slightly better blocker than it looks like by discouraging attacks. Sign of Stygia. This is another card that I don't have a lot of experience with, and I would say that I'm confused by its stats not being actively bad, since it's a 3-mana 2-1 with like this weird ETB ability. Vampire Spawn honestly helps explain Scion a little bit, where it's like, okay, I know 3-mana creatures that impact life totals and just like create this kind of like tempo effect, overperform in this format so it's like not that hard for me to lump Cyanos Digia in with Vampire Spawn uh, to explain it doing well but I'm still a little skeptical like it's weird to me that Cyanos Digia performs better than Clever Conjurer but it does but I still I don't know I don't trust it I personally would likely take Clever Conjurer over of Stygia because what I understand Blue Black to be trying to do is like you're generally going to be a little bit slower than your opponent. You want to play a three mana creature that's going to kind of like blunt their offense. And then you want to play big stuff like Rhyme Shield, Frost Giant, 
Baleful Beholder and Air Cult Elemental. I think a lot of your game is about these uh, kind of just like boom booms, which is a little bit weird for blue black, but I know that you're not very aggressive and the card draw spells don't perform well. I think that you're like enough on the back foot that you can't afford to take time off to draw cards. And so if I'm a defensive like control type deck that wants to like play removal in one for ones, but isn't trying to draw cards to get value out of these one for ones, then like, why am I doing this? What else am I trying to do? One thing that you're trying to do is, well, I play a soul knife spy and then my opponent has like a blocker and then I kill their blocker and I hit them with their soul knife spy. And now I've like played a card draw spell, except I didn't have to take time off to play that card draw spell. I'm just up a card off my creature. But then outside of that, I think the other thing you're doing is just playing big creatures and then, you know, kind of getting implicit card advantage somewhere between like, oh, my opponent's going to need to use multiple cards to deal with this and kind of the ramp effect where it's like, it's not so much about number of cards. It's just like, this beats my opponent because they can't answer it or whatever. So anyway, Clever Conjure plays well in that game plan where it's like both a blocker and like another mana source slash ramp spell or whatever to cast your big stuff. And then uh, Yanti Fangblade is the worst performing of those three drops, but also totally fine, totally on plan. Has the two toughness downside that I was talking about, but also like blocks really low because it has death touch and is a reasonable saboteur type creature. And fine, fine card for the deck. So you have those five different common three drops, which is like more than you have commons at any other spot on the curve that you want. It's really like more than you need to have more than you want to play which means that you should slightly deprioritize all of them. Obviously, given what I've said, I'm going to deprioritize all the ones that aren't Vampire Spawn more than I deprioritize Vampire Spawn, because I'd like to just have a bunch of Vampire Spawns, and at this point in the format, people are still letting me do that. Basically, how I'm seeing the deck is as much removal as I can get, Grim Bounty, Precipitous Drop, and then like Power Word Kill and stuff. Um, I Sorry, let, let, me, let me back that up a little bit. I should talk about Charm Sleep, which exists, but I don't want to play it. I never like cards like Charm... Oops. I almost never like cards like Charm Sleep because uh, they they suck. Um, I, I, I don't like uh, removal spells that don't actually answer my opponent's creatures and give them all these like opportunities to get value out of what I've done and stuff. And especially in a format where... like. Red-Black is so big, and Deadly Dispute's such an important card, and it doesn't answer, like, the Singer, the uh, plus one power at the beginning of combat creature and stuff, and, like, Clever Conjure exists. It's, I, I don't want to play Charm Sleep. So I want all the black removal I can get my hands on, and then Busted Blue Rares, basically, and then uh, among Blue Commons, I'm basically looking for Flyers, and some filler three drops. You want a lot of the same cards that you're looking for in black red, but you don't have the red stuff. And instead of the red stuff, you have like Jin Windseer, like Air Cult Elemental over Earth Cult Elemental. Uh, Rhyme Shield Frost Giant is like an upgrade over the other five drops. I, like I do think Frost Giant's better than the red and black. Well, it's probably not better than Swarm of Goblins. Kind of playing in a similar space weirdly where it's like five drop that's pretty good at bricking other creatures on the ground and somewhat resistant to removal like weirdly ward three and make some extra bodies both function 
in different ways as like not good against as like removal is awkward against me. I guess this is why blue black isn't great is like the cards that I'm looking to add from blue are the creatures and blue is not great at creatures. And then like you find a villain's lair and bar the gate are like the blue cards that are the blue spells that are fine, but I don't like the blue removal. I don't like the bounce spell. I don't like the tap spell. I, the card draw spell is too slow. There are just a lot of problems there. Oh, I guess I should mention Arcane Investigator is like another way to get ahead that I think is reasonable at blue block. It's weird to have like discussing this and then taking a moment to explain why it's bad, but that is an important part of understanding it. And it goes to reinforce this idea that you're looking for prayers as the reason to play this deck. Long story short, there are a lot of commons that are fine, um, which means that if you have the rares, you will have enough playables to have a reasonable deck. But if your deck is a bunch of commons, you're going to wonder what the blue cards are doing in your deck, because they're not really adding anything. Another thing I wanted to touch on, the stats indicate that, you know, you want to be doing this, like, three drop creatures into, like, big stuff, and, like, not playing most of the blue spells and everything, the thing that I'm discussing. I have a theory that I haven't been able to, like, fully sufficiently explore that I think one drops are like underrated and insufficiently understood by players. I think that they might be better than the stats reflect. And I think that there's a chance that the way that you're supposed to play blue black involves using secret door to give you enough time to play contact other planes. And like neither one of these, both of those cards have really bad stats but I still suspect that I'm going to like personally try to play them together. I don't feel comfortable telling other people that they should because I haven't verified this theory and I don't have anything to like back it up, but it makes enough sense to me intuitively that it is like on my radar as something to try in blue black. So often encouraged like do as I say, not as I do. And this is a spot where I want to make sure that I'm saying that you should do the real things but also i do feel like i should tell you i think there's something here that there might be more than the numbers are really like showing us right now and i do plan to explore it little little some some maybes there i guess that's basically what i have to say about this very vanilla deck at common prioritizer errors but i think that there might be a way to like make some of the more fringe cards better than some of their parts that people aren't doing right. I am not optimistic about like the Thieves Tools Saboteur like angle for doing that, but I am interested in the like more cheap stuff, prioritized like Shambling Ghast. Deadly Dispute is a card that doesn't have great stats in blue-black because you're a little too clunky for it and you don't have enough stuff to sacrifice, but it like I know that it's good if you have enough shambling guests, no matter what your other color is. There's space to prioritize more cheap stuff plus more card draw. And if there is like a way to kind of like break the current paradigm of blue black and do something good, my guess is that that's the way to do it. Uh, play cheap stuff to not fall behind, and then use the fact that you have like this extra life because you've played these cheap cards and like vampire spawns and stuff to have the time to actually cast card draw. 
that's what I got. We're going to turn it over to Twitch chat for questions. Quick reminder, reminder slash request to uh, check out the um, patron for uh, Patreon, rather, for Drafting Archetypes, uh, patreon.com slash Drafting Archetypes, if you wanted to check out what we offer and see if you're interested in supporting the program. First question, is blue-black a deck which could splash a bomb in another color? So black is a color that makes treasures well. So yes, like if you have the black cards that make treasures, you can splash. Also, you know, the, the best mana fixing is more, more draw steps. And since blue-black is generally one of the archetypes that's looking to play a longer game, and if you are not like deep into treasures, you probably are deep into venturing, which can give you treasures. So really, like blue black, I would say is the second best archetype for splashing after blue red, after black red. So yes, absolutely, uh, blue black can splash a bomb in another color. And notably, I haven't, uh, I didn't mention it because like the sample size is small and it's a little bit weird. But dragon's fire is actually the common with the highest win rate in blue black. Um, which isn't that surprising given what I just said about how easy it is for blue-black to splash and how much blue-black is looking for like good cheap instant speed removal. I do think that you should be like, you know, generally pretty aggressively taking Dragon's Fire if you're blue-black. Uh, yes, blue-black is very much a deck that can splash not just bombs, but also even like off-color removal if you would need to, if it's good removal. Next up, is blue-black fighting for a Sepulcher Ghoul? I mean, it, it wants to play it. It's the best two-drop available to you. And if you have sack outlets, you can easily splash Price of Loyalty in blue-black. That said, black-red wants it more than you do. And so you're fighting for it in that you would like to play it and other people would like to play it and they would like to play it more than you. So you're kind of just like accepting that you might not get it as much. But also, you know, the more of its friends you have, the more you want to prioritize it. Like, uh, Shambling Ghast and Ghoul, to me, are kind of like cards that I always want to play together. Yes, but largely just in that, you know, you're fighting for all the good black cards. Uh, Autocracked from uh, Crydel. I talked about that briefly. I would hope not to, um, but I would be willing to in a week pack. Bounce in blue-black. I have personally not had good experiences with You Come to a River, which is weird because it's a card that, like, generally I think bounce spells are good. Uh, when I've tried to play You Come to a River, it has not been good for me and its stats aren't good. Air Elemental is a card that I don't have a lot of experience with, but its stats are good, and I do believe that Blue Black wants to play it. Don't necessarily pair them. Yes, Air Elemental, no River. Uh, what do I think about Rogue Class? I think Rogue Class has abysmal stats, and it kind of makes sense to me. It's largely uh, analogous to a card draw spell. Um, it's one that has like a lot of like imaginary potential to run away with a game, but uh, the mana investment is so extreme and like things need to be going well for you that it's really, really easy to see its failure state. It's a card that's easy to overrate because when it performs well, it can totally run away with a game, but I think that it's uh, you want to play it rarely if ever. Uh, next question, would you play, you see a guard approach if you have Mind Flare or the Blue Mythic Dragon? Potentially. I'm still not going to like take it highly and I'm not excited about it, but like I'll be considering it among my other like maybe I'll play this, maybe I won't type playables at the end of deck when I'm into deck building. There was a follow-up question there, wouldn't you rather uh, play Feign Death instead of Approach? 
And the answer is yes. Also, honestly, uh, it was somewhat irresponsible of me not to discuss Fan Death more uh, because Fan Death actually has like really, really good win rates in this ar archetype. I think it's 57% in an archetype that wins 53.9% on average. Um, so like Fan Death like increases the amount that you win by a considerable margin. It's one of the best comments in the archetype, which is a little bit like weird, easy to miss, um, easy to like underrate it. You, we are talking about a lot of creatures with ETB and dice triggers, uh, Air Cult Elemental, Jin Windseer, Windseer, Clatter and Skeletons, Vampire Spy, Cyan of Stygia. And then it's also like very easy to have a combat where you like trade with Soul Knife Spy or Yanti Fangblade. And then Fain Death is like a one mana card that gives you like three or even four mana worth of creature uh, by returning them. And then especially now that's potentially playing a lot of threes, uh, it's really easy to imagine a curve where you go like turn three, play a three drop that's going to trade, turn four, like attack, trade, feign death, play another three drop and get like, you know, this pretty big tempo swing. Feign death is like a lot better than you see a guard approach because it you know, stops most removal spells and saves your creatures in combat and makes them bigger. I, I, I do think like Feign Death is like very real part of what Blue Black is trying to do here. Uh, next question is Tasha's Hideous Laughter ever worth building around if you pick it up early in a draft? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, I did have a deck that had, I think like, two laughters and some of the guys that can pick them up and stuff and was like oh well if i just like play two of these i probably win the problem is if you play one of them you probably lose uh and if you play two you don't definitely win there there have been formats uh i think actually zendikar the kicker mill your opponent like the mill 10 or mill them like eight or ten or whatever and then like kick it to mill them for half their cards um is a card that played pretty well for me i had a bunch of uh games where i would like just play one of those and mill half their cards and then buy it back with the guy that picks up a thing from your graveyard and cast it again and the games were long and it was fine. Uh, this isn't that kind of format. Don't play Dash Sidious Laughter. Are there any other traps like Rogue Class that you would avoid on this color pair? Uh, yeah. I mean, there are a ton of bad cards in blue that you should avoid. Um, Tosh Sidious Laughter is a great example of one of them. In general, I would say just, you know, check the stats on 17 lands and there are like a lot of rares that win like less than half the time and just never play any of them. Is Cradle worth splashing in the average red black deck? I mentioned that I take that I would first pick Xanathar and not Cradle because Xanathar is a much better splash than Cradle. I do think that it's like I wouldn't never splash Cradle, but I'm not really looking to. Um, it's good, but it's not so good that I'm like happy to like spend a treasure on turn four or whatever to like play this like one three that can make my guys evasive in black red i find that it's like easy enough to get guys through that i don't really need that effect uh it's just not really like you know worth the hoops you have to jump through especially knowing that in general like all the archetypes that can splash perform worse when they do splash and then also when you're splashing with treasures um you always want to keep your splash like smaller rather than bigger and I, I just feel like there's usually something better you could be splashing or not splashing is better. Uh, for the most part, no, it's not worth it. But there are some decks that might particularly want the effect where it could be or are particularly good at generating treasures or whatever. Is check for traps something you would prioritize? Uh, check for traps is in the like 
filler uncommon space. It's it wins a very similar amount to um, all of the filler commons. So it's it's not something I'd prioritize, but it's fine to play it. It's not it, it check for traps is not itself a trap. It's it's just fine. Next question: How's sacrificial dagger with death touch or manticore? If you have multiple death touch creatures, it's fine. The only death touch creature in blue black, I believe, is Yanti Fangblade. I've had that combo come up more in blue green in black green, but anytime you happen to have three death touch creatures or whatever, I think it's totally reasonable to play dagger to take advantage of that. And then if you're playing dagger, that might be a reason to play Manticore. Manticore stats are pretty bad. In general, you should be careful about when you play Manticore. I, I do think that like spare dagger has enough like there are enough one toughness creatures in the format that the floor is fine and then uh it's really good with some things so i i, do, I don't think you have to be, be in a particularly weird spot to want to play it but you shouldn't like play it just in general next question is wizard class good here i know the stats on wizard class are not impressive i don't think it's like a total trap wizard's class is in the space where it's not something you should like prioritize or maybe even always play but it's very much in my like well i want to like try playing this with a lot of one drops and secret door and i bet i can make it like not really bad even though it's like not really good next question did i mention trickster's talisman at all uh i did not mention it i think it's like probably okay i don't have a lot of experience and didn't it's i know its stats aren't noteworthy i don't remember if they're like i really bad or not I don't have any special insight on Trickster's Talisman, though. Next question is about Skeletal Swarming, which is not exactly um, on topic, but not exactly off topic. It's a very easy card to splash blue-black. The question is, is it a trap? I saw lots of people praising it early on. See it wheeling now. It's not a trap, but it's not um, like a top-tier bomb. It needs time, but it does very, very frequently convert time into winning in a lot of cases. I think that it would be a pretty reasonable card to splash in blue-black, but not like a total bomb. Uh, I think it's it's fine. Next question. How many expensive creatures should we be playing in the archetype? Great question. Definitely, you do want to have some kind of like target in mind there. You certainly have diminishing returns on additional copies, but the number isn't like as few as possible because I do think that the deck really wants that kind of like late-game oomph. It's going to depend somewhat on, like, you know, if you have a bunch of, like, Jin Windseers, then it's less important to have, like, Air Cult Elementals and Baleful Beholders because you can finish the game with Windseers. Also, obviously, if you have, like, bombs, then you don't need it as much. I would say, you know, among five and six mana commons, I would guess you want to be in the, like, two to six range, which is a wide range, but sorry, that's how magic works. Definitely going to be a function of, like, how many clever conjurers do you have? Like, more clever conjurers, more expensive spells, more gin win seers, fewer expensive spells. Obviously, that's, like, a little overly reductive, and there are a lot of other cards that factor in and everything, but that's that's what I got for uh, this question that has, like, a lot of range. Chat informs me that Trickster's Talisman has uh, a win rate under 50% blue-black. Sounds like a trap to me. Next question, does blue-black require uncommons as well as bomb rare for me to be happy with it? No, because, like, if I have, like, a bomb rare that's the reason that I'm playing blue, and then I have the good black commons, I can have a good deck. Like, the black commons are so good 
that if you're getting them, your deck might just be awesome. And then like, I'm happy to like, if I have like, if I'm just getting all the good black commons, I'm happy to be playing blue just for a single rare. Um, but I've, I mean, obviously like, yes, I would like to have more than one good card in my deck. And you know, the blue commons as mentioned, aren't anything to write home about. The problem is the blue uncommons aren't anything to write home about either. So like, I don't know. How often is 16 lands the right call for a blue-black deck that has Evolving Wilds? Well, the Evolving Wilds part is basically irrelevant. And I don't think that blue-black is a deck that wants to play 16 lands very often. I think that you are typically going to have more 3-mana creatures than 2-mana creatures, and you're also going to have expensive creatures um, and potentially mana sinks. Uh, while you have treasures, it's not like the like low-curve red-black deck that maybe has like two big things that you're spending treasures on. I think you just want to be putting lands into play. I think you're like more likely to play 18 and 16 lands in blue-black. Next question. If you pick up Mordenkainen, pack one, pick one, are you thinking about being blue or splashing blue? Uh, when it, Once we're at the point where it costs blue-blue, I would rather like actually play a blue deck than like try to assemble two treasures. Probably. Um, I'm not going to like hard force blue or anything, but I'm going to be expecting that blue will be open and that I will play like a two-color blue deck. What's my opinion of Power of Persuasion and Split the Party? I think both are really bad. This is the issue. It like blue is bad at both. Well, blue is mediocre at common and bad at uncommon almost more than it's like bad at common and bad at uncommon. Like it's the problem is that it doesn't have a top end at common. It's all just like a bunch of medium stuff at common, and then it also has a bunch of really bad uncommons. Like, the six-mana card draw spell is also really bad. There's just a lot of bad uncommons. Like, the, the situation for blue overall is grim. Next question, would you splash Teleportation Circle? Teleportation Circle is exactly the kind of card that I would like to splash in a deck that can make treasure as well. It's going to totally depend on how many good Enter the Battlefield abilities I have, but uh, I have splashed Teleportation Circle in red-black and been very happy about it. It's not hard to imagine myself doing the same thing in blue-black. Are there any specific artifacts we should be targeting ice and prioritizing like spike pit trap 50 feet of rope eye of vecna etc no i don't think any of those cards are especially good next question how important are shortcut seeker and zombie ogre for blue black they're both cards that you would prefer not to play so i'm gonna go with not very important i do think that like venturing is often a thing that your deck is doing but those are not the ways that you want to do it i think they're both not merit not like embarrassing um, but there are so many playable commons that are better that you should try not to play them. Next question, are there any five drops we want to play? Yes, I believe you want to play Rhyme Shield, Frost Giant most of the time, and not the other ones, uh, as far as commons go. Obviously, rare, it's a different situation where, you know, Mind Flare and Amrith exist. Um, say nothing like Lolf and whatever. All right, I think I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you, everyone, for hanging out. And I guess all I have to add is we are now back to a regular schedule, which means this will be, uh, I'll be back next week, same time, uh, 8 p.m. Pacific on Wednesday. We'll be into a steady rhythm where uh, patrons on patreon.com slash drafting archetypes will uh, select the archetype that I'll be discussing next. That said, um, that was Blue Black. Uh, thanks for listening. and. I'll be back next week.